Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. On down in verse 21, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And on down in chapter 1, verse 38, And he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to pray. God, we love you. You are absolutely doing something here at Hill City. It makes no sense to me, but I'm going to ask you to please keep doing it. So as we go to your word today and we see Jesus, our King, may he open our eyes that we see awesome things from his word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's been a while, like I've known we're going to be in this Gospel of Mark. Uh, it was back in November, I got away to study. I knew exactly what I was going to preach this week. And it was going to be fun, it was going to be awesome, it was something I'm very passionate about. And it's the idea that, that we are disciples who are then to make disciples. After all, together, we love God, we love others, and we make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our mission statement here at Hill City Church. This, this, this sermon was written, like, like, like I've taught this many times, and I'm just telling you what happened. It was, it was Wednesday, and it was like, no, that's not, that's not what we're going to do today. And the Lord is just like, hey, I know you were going to do that, but that's not what you're going to do. So, here we are. We're still in Mark. But we are absolutely going to focus on Jesus Christ this morning. Specifically, we're going to be confronted with Jesus. And specifically, we're going to be confronted with the part of Jesus that the world loves and that we love. 
But we are also going to be confronted with a part of Jesus that the world hates. And if we are honest, sometimes we hate. What I want to caution us this morning and, and, and each day is that we would be careful to not pick out the parts of Jesus that we like and then, and then, and then discard the ones that we don't like. It's dangerous ground to walk on. So we start here and Jesus' ministry is beginning. And he comes and he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is his message. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, repent, this word, like, like the world hears this, sometimes we hear it, and it's cringeworthy sometimes, but it's a beautiful word. The word repent is just to change one's mind, and then even then to cause to change a direction. This is not a church word. This is just, this is just a common word that meant to change mind and to change direction. And quite honestly, if we really look at it in our culture, repentance is so common. Like, what do you think college is about? It's a repentance factory. You come to college, whether that's from your small town or from, right, or you come from whatever ecosystem you were raised in for 18 years, and then guess what they're trying to do at college? They're trying to change your mind. They're getting you to think about things differently, and then even at times to change the direction of your life. Some of this is very positive, and some of it is not. But let's not act like repentance is this foreign thing. What do you think advertisement is? It's trying to get you to repent. It's get you to change your mind. You didn't think you needed this. You need this. You weren't going to go here to buy it. Change your direction and go here to buy it. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And then we see in verse 16, 16 through 20 of chapter 1, which I didn't read, you see Jesus calling his first disciples. And he comes on the scene and says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. This is what I was supposed to preach, I thought. But I just want you to know, I just want you to see what happens here, and then we'll come back to this in a minute. It says that the disciples immediately, they left their nets Then he goes on further and it says the other two immediately left their father and the boat that they were on. Now listen, you have to understand what happened here. Immediately what they left was everything they ever knew. Immediately they left their identity. They were fishermen. Their dads fished, their grandpas fished, their great-grandpas fished. This is all they ever knew. And Jesus comes and calls them and immediately they just left it. Why would they do such a thing? It's not that they just left. They were thrilled to leave it. They were thrilled to leave it. And you go on down to verse 21. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath. See, immediately. I mean, this, I've already said immediately like four times today. This is the word. Jesus is going somewhere and he's going there immediately. Meeting on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes for he taught them as one who had exousia authority by definition 
He taught them as one who had the power or liberty to do as one pleases. The power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to and obeyed. That's how he taught them. And today we are confronted with the authority of Jesus. They were astonished at his teaching. So you're going to see the authority in his teaching. You're not going to see much of that. You're going to see the authority in his actions. They were astonished. He, he didn't teach like the scribes. And what, what that means is, is, is in this day and time, especially in Judaism, is, is a scribe would teach, but they would, they would say, now listen, here's how this father of the faith taught it. And here's how this father of the faith taught it. And you don't deviate from what they taught. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he does not do that. Now, you don't read it in Mark, but in Matthew, this is when Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, now you've heard it said, but I say this. In other words, you've heard this taught for thousands and thousands of years. But I say, boom. You didn't do that. And here, here would have been the reaction. Who, who, does it, who does he think he is? Like, what's he, what is he doing? Does he think he is like, no, no, it wasn't that Jesus thought he was somebody. He knew he was somebody. He knew he was God. And the very thing that had been taught for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, Jesus wrote that stuff. Like, he was the author so then he comes on the scene and then gets to properly interpret because Jesus wrote the book. And he taught like he wrote the book. He taught with authority. He taught as one who had the liberty to do as he pleased because he did. But again, remember, Mark doesn't talk a ton about what Jesus said. It talks about what Jesus did. So, so here we go on in the passage. Verse 23, and immediately, there it is again, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Okay, now listen, there's going to come a time we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about another realm. We're going to get a little creepy. We're not going to get a little creepy today, okay? We'll do that eventually. But what I want to draw your attention to is like, listen, unlike everyone else in the synagogue, they didn't know exactly who this Jesus was. They're like, who is this that he teaches with such authority? This demon knew exactly who Jesus was. He's the only one there that did. Jesus of Nath, holy one of God. Like that's a phrase. We see that all throughout the Old Testament, Most, mostly in Isaiah. I'll come back to that later. You see it sometimes in the Psalms. The demon knew exactly who Jesus was. And you need to understand what happened here. You see this uh, exorcism. Let's be very clear about what doesn't happen here. Like Jesus did not even break a sweat. Here this unclean spirit 
is in the synagogue. Jesus does not pull out his book of spells. He does not do any hocus pocus. He does not have to do use any like, like potion. What you see right here in Mark chapter 1 is the word speaking a word. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. It's Jesus and the word is on the scene and he speaks a word and he doesn't break a sweat. And here is his word to the unclean spirit. Shut up and get out. That's his word. No extras. Shut up, get out. And what did the unclean spirit do? Exactly what Jesus told him to do. Verse 26, the unclean spirit convulsing in him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. The unclean spirit, say this again, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. The unclean spirit, kradzo megasphone, that's the Greek. I'm going to say it one more time, kradzo megasphone. Now take that, put that in your back pocket. Verse 27, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Exousia. Like demons obey this guy. And if you look on in, in verse 34, I want to read this to you. It says, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew exactly who was sitting in front of them. He had authority over this supernatural realm, over this spiritual realm. But it wasn't just that he had authority there. You get into verse 29. And immediately, there it is again, he heads out, right? And here we see Peter's mother-in-law comes on the scene and she's sick. And Jesus lifts her up and he heals her, boom, immediately. She was sick, he healed her. The Bible then goes on to say that then she just began to serve everybody there. So she, like, she felt pretty good, not even, not even recovery. She's good, immediately Jesus heals Verse 32, it says, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. That's a lot of people. It said, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. That's a lot of people. And verse 34, I'll read again. It said, and he healed many. So listen, everybody came that needed healed. And Jesus healed many, not all. He healed many. Now, if we skip, we go down to verse 40. We see that Jesus heals a leper. Leper came to him, says he reaches out and he touches him and then he speaks him clean. 
So it started with Jesus casting out this unclean spirit because he has so much authority that even the demons will obey him. But Jesus goes further and he goes to the physical that even sickness obeys him because he has authority over the physical as well. Today we are confronted with Jesus and his authority. Jesus, the Son of God, let me say it this way, Jesus, God, the Son, is on the scene and he has authority. What does he have authority over? Everything. The spiritual and the physical. Hill City, Jesus is king. He has authority over everything. He's king over everything. The Old Testament passage says his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions will serve and obey him. And here this morning in Mark chapter 1, we, 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 it is here on this front where we will start, see, start to see the crowds divide. Now maybe not literally here in this passage, but this is where you will start seeing people look and go, okay, what do we do with this authority? And the reality is many, many people looked at Jesus, they saw what he did, and they were thrilled just like the disciples. They were thrilled at his authority, but not everybody was thrilled at his authority. His fame grew, and some people were threatened by his authority. How about you? Does his authority thrill you? Or does his authority threaten you? Like, like the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came and he found you and he pulled you out of darkness and, and, and now you are in his marvelous light. And there's so much beauty in that. And you know he's the only one that could ever help you. So listen, he, he was your only hope. And all of your allegiance is to him because he is your king. All of your allegiance, you are thrilled by this. The disciples were thrilled by it. Immediately they left their nets. Immediately they just left their boats. They left their dad. They left their identity because they had a new identity. They were thrilled with King Jesus. Are you? Or does it threaten you? Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, and they rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One. Uh Uh-oh, there that is. The Holy One of Israel, or consult the Lord. So so we've talked about nets, and we've talked about boats, 
and we've talked about chariots, and now we've talked about horses and, and, and horsemen. And the question is, what have you not left to follow Jesus with everything because you are threatened and not thrilled? Hill City Church, it, if we truly recognized the magnitude, the greatness of our King, we would not only leave everything, we would rarely, if ever, leave our knees. And our face would always be fixed upon his face because we would be thrilled and we would not be threatened. When the Bible says that Jesus has all authority, that means he has authority over everything. Brad, how do I know? Like, how do I know if I'm threatened? How do I know if I'm not thrilled? I'll just ask you a few practical questions this morning. If Jesus has authority over your spiritual life, but he doesn't have authority over your professional life, you are probably threatened more than you are thrilled. If Jesus has authority over your Sundays, I give those to him, but you don't give him Monday through Saturday, you are probably threatened by his authority more than you are thrilled by his authority. If Jesus has authority over your marriage and you want him to bless that area of your life, but he does not have authority over your money, then you are threatened by Jesus and you are not thrilled with his authority. If Jesus has authority over your schedule, but he doesn't have authority over your sexuality, you are threatened by him and you're not thrilled by him. And what happens is our nets, our identity, our chariots, our horsemen, our stuff, they distract us. But make no mistake, meanwhile, while we're distracted, the Holy One sits enthroned over all of them, over all of our nets, over all of our chariots. He is the king. No chariot moves, no horseman rides, no net catches a fish without his permission and without his power. Everything you have has been given to you by the one who has authority over that thing. Jesus is our king. We say this so much here. Hear me. We don't say that lightly. We don't say King Jesus lightly because it's this neat new saying. Or it's like they, they, they've written it in some songs, so now we're going to start saying this term. No, 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 listen. He is literally our king, and he rules and he reigns over us, over all of us. And the reality is this morning, church, he already has authority over everything. What's left is only for you and I to submit to that authority. Is Jesus your king? I'm going to ask again. Is Jesus your king? Oh, I hope that you leave here thrilled at Jesus and his authority. So much so that you give him every square inch of your life, your identity, your stuff, your whole life. I hope that you would leave this morning thrilled and not threatened. King Jesus. He comes on the scene. He, he casts out demons. He's, he's healing people like he's doing 
awesome, awesome stuff. But what is he here for? And, he, and listen, so we know he has authority, but what is he really doing here? And, and I want us to see this morning our king's mission. Before, before I read a section that I skipped, I, I just I got to bring some attention to something. If I was Jesus, thank goodness I'm not, but if I was Jesus and I was here on this scene, here's what I think I would have done. Like Oprah, you're healed and you're healed and you are cleansed from a demon. Like that's how I would have rolled. So, so one of my favorite movies, don't judge me, is Tombstone. It's old school, right? So Doc Holliday uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a bad dude, okay? Bad and like I like him. In case we're wondering. So Johnny Ringo, there's this scene, and, he, and he's having this last standoff kind of with Johnny Ringo, and, and like he shoots him right in his head, and, and like at Johnny, he just didn't die immediately, and Doc Holliday like taunts him to his death as, as he's falling down. He's looking at him as he's falling, and he's like, I think I'm, I'm, he's saying something like, you're no daisy, you're no daisy at all, right? And he just dies. I'm like, that is incredible. That's a great scene. Listen. I'm telling you, I would have went Doc Holliday on all the disease, on all the demons. I would have taunted the demons. I would have made fools of the demons. But Jesus, God the Son, he's so much better. He's so much wiser than I am. He had an even bigger mission than the healing, than the casting out demons. We're going to see later he's going to feed thousands. He had, he had a bigger mission than that, and he tells us what it is what he does rising very early in the morning while it's still dark he departed he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed there's a whole sermon they found him right and and here's what they're like hey everybody's looking for you like you did so much awesome stuff last night like there's still a bajillion people that want you to do more of that and jesus is like nope we got to go what i mean there's still sick people jesus is like no listen Here's what we're going to do. we got to go on to the next town that I can preach there also, for that's why I came out. So now you go all the way back. Wait a minute, what's he preaching? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Why did our king come? Cast out demons? To heal people of their diseases? to feed 5,000s, to fight for the vulnerable, to buy coats for the needy? Why did our king come ultimately? He came because he was the Messiah. He was the one and the only one that could deliver. He's the only one that could take away the sins of the world once and for all. He is the one who had all the answers to all of life's questions. And all these demonstrations that we see here in chapter 1 and that we'll see throughout all this gospel, all of his miracles, all these demonstrations, they were to show who he was and that he had authority and that he was the Messiah. But his mission was to deliver the world from their sin. His mission was to give life to dead people. Spiritual life to the spiritually dead. So here we have to have a very uncomfortable talk. The world loves for us to be like Jesus. When 
we're helping the needy, when we're feeding the poor, when we're fighting for the vulnerable. They love for us to be like Jesus. But no, listen, you can do all that stuff, but whatever you do, don't be bringing that stuff about sin and that need for repentance thing. That's not welcome here. That is the reality. There are actually two realities. I want to talk to you about them. And here's, here's one. Some of God's people, see, they forget. They forget that we're supposed to lead in love. They forget that we are supposed to serve the poor. They forget that we are supposed to buy coats for families in need. They forget that we are supposed to feed the hungry. They forget that we're supposed to do all of those things that we would call the hands and feet of Jesus. And the reality is they're out, they, they might be out talk, telling people their need for Jesus, but there's a disconnect. Like the gospel that they're preaching isn't believable because there's such a disconnect between their message and their life actions. That's a reality. We've seen this. Amen? Okay, there's another reality. Some of God's people, they go on with all the serving and all the being the hands and feet of Jesus. But what happens is when you stop and you look around for Jesus. Well, he, well he's, he's outside. He's not even here. See, we love the Jesus that fights for justice. We love the Jesus that feeds the hungry. We love the one that gets coats and paints school buildings. But I'm wondering if we might love that part of Jesus because deep down we know that we can actually do all that stuff without Jesus. See, it's his authority that makes us uncomfortable. His good deeds don't make us uncomfortable. We love that. It's his authority that makes us uncomfortable. Now hear me, Hill City, got to have your eyes just in case you heard something that I wasn't saying. We will be a church that is for this city. We will keep providing and meeting needs where we can in this city. We will offer coats. We will offer counseling. We will offer cups of coffee, whatever we need to do. We're going to let nonprofits use our new building we're going to do all that stuff. We must do all that stuff. Are you with me? Why? Because we have a king who said to do that stuff. Just, just hear me out. We will do all that stuff. But let's make no mistake. You and I and everyone in Springfield were born unholy, with a dark black heart, separated from a holy God. That is true. Sinners in need of a savior. There's only one way and one person that can reconcile us back to a holy God and there was only one way that could happen. The one person is Jesus. The one way is that a sinner's price had to be paid. Amen. 
Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. You and I are sinners. The wages for that sin is death. Jesus paid the wage. And that's how we can read the second half of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. How is that possible? Here is how. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's why we're going to serve people. We're going to mimic our king. The Son of Man came to serve. That's why we're going to do that. But the second half of that verse says this. And to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, pay the wages of sin. For you. And for me. Here's what I want you to do. Reach in your back pocket. Mark chapter 15. Jesus is on the cross. He had already cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the people are like, what's going on here? Like, is he calling Elijah? They're confused a little bit. And then... Here's what it says, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. And Jesus, Ephemi megaphone. Did you get that out of your back? Wait, you had one of those in your back pocket. And Jesus, Ephemi megaphone. Why? did Jesus not embarrass every demon that ever came that day? Why did Jesus not heal every single disease that came across him that day? That's what I would have done. It's because Jesus knew something. And he knew that one day he was going to go to a cross. See, he's going immediately. He's going immediately. He's going immediately. Where's he going, Hill City? He is going immediately. He is going to the cross. He knew that in chapter 1. So the reason that he didn't have every single demon megasphone like the one did in chapter 1 is because he knew there would one day come an ultimate megasphone and it would be his own. And it is, it is in his megasphone that he would deliver the final blow, this final ultimate cry, and it was a cry of victory. So why did he not embarrass the demons in chapter 1? Because on the cross, he did it. Colossians 2 says this, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. And here's what it says he did. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He knew where he was going. He knew what he would do. He was just demonstrating his authority so that people would know who he was. I want you to stand with me. If you ever miss or lose sight of what I'm getting ready to tell you, just pray and ask the Lord to renew a sense of urgency within your heart. Here we go. You ready? Springfield, Missouri needs Jesus like a savior. Missouri State University needs Jesus. 
I need Jesus. And you need Jesus. Is he your king? Because he already has the authority. All authority has been given him in heaven and on earth. All authority is his. Have you submitted to that authority? God, we love you. And we're so thankful for such an incredible and perfect king. If there's a heart, if there's a person in this room, Father, who has not submitted to Jesus and that they've not confessed their sin, that they've not passed from death to life, I would pray in this very moment that that would happen. And God, for most of the room who they've passed from death to life, they're following Jesus. They are Christians. God, may, may they have the courage to evaluate every area of their life and see where they have not submitted to your authority, where they are threatened by your authority. And may today be the day that they surrender to you. ask that in Jesus name amen if you're serving communion I want you to come forward each week here we receive communion we do this on purpose it's very intentional it's a rehearsal of the gospel it's a rehearsal of the greatest news that you've ever heard in your life that our king Jesus went to a cross and he died a sinner's death so that you and I did not have to we're gonna have a station under each light here we'll have two more stations about a third of the way up the aisle and then for the back third, we have a station for you. We have stations in the balcony. Bread will be torn as it represents the body of our king that was torn for us so that our bodies did not have to be. Be dipped into a cup representing the blood of our king that was spilled so that our blood did not have to be spilled. It was in that moment that he cried out. Megasphone. It is the ultimate cry of victory. And it was our victory. Man, what? There's nothing better to celebrate. So let's come to the table. We'll have some people down front. It'll be the joy of our day to pray with you. Some staff, some elders.